This is Teeming with Ideas, the podcast that explores how people at work work together. I'm Carlos Valdez Depena, your host, and I spent decades working with teams as well as researching, writing, and speaking about collaboration. Over the years, I've met some brilliant people who share my passion for collaboration. In Teeming with Ideas, I'll be speaking with these experts so that you can put them to work to make your work life richer and more rewarding. Enjoy. And welcome back, my brilliant listeners, to Teeming with Ideas. I am joined today by Tom Russell, a fine gentleman I've worked with once or twice in the past and actually had some training from. Tom is a graphic facilitator, and it is a discipline within organization development. I love graphic facilitation. I love the effect and the impact it has on the way people work together. I love the outputs it creates. I love so much about it. I just had to have Tom on to talk about what to me seems almost magical in its ability to get people talking to each other in deeper, more powerful ways. So enough gushing about why I like this. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Carlos. Yeah, I like it too, uh, which is which is great. I've been a graphic facilitator for about 10 years or so now, doing that full time. In the past, I was in human resources. That was the career track that I chose to follow after studying organizational behavior. I worked in different sectors. During that time, encountered OD and facilitation within that. And then not long before making a transition, I discovered the whole graphic focus and graphic facilitation and graphic recording as well. And so facilitation and graphics melded together seemed like the perfect combination. And so here we are 10 years down the line. All right. So two questions for you right out of the gate. One, would you mind explaining to my brilliant listeners, graphic facilitation, would you mind explaining what it is generally? And two, draw a distinction between graphic recording and graphic facilitation. Sure. Graphic facilitation is, to put it very crudely, facilitation where you're enabling a conversation within a group, but you're using large-scale imagery in order to help them reach a particular outcome or goal, and that group is interacting with that imagery at the same time during the conversation. So hence, it's a visual facilitation. And the distinction between graphic facilitation and graphic recording is straightforward, although the terms can often get interchanged. So graphic recording is passive. You may have been to a conference where there was somebody capturing on a large piece of paper or digitally, of course, given recent events, the key points and the messages from the conversation or from the presentation. So building up an engaging visual picture, which then forms a visual reminder of the conversation and that is often given to participants after a conference or a meeting so essentially graphic facilitation a lot more active working with the group graphic recording more passive so i'm one of those people i've gotten one of those pdfs of a giant poster i mean these things can be 12 15 feet from side to side Mm. capturing a a three-day off-site conference for example in images words as well but in images How much training did you have in art or graphic design before you got into this? Very little, although my parents are artists and were graphic designers before they retired. And I was lucky enough 
in that they work from home. So they used to have a studio up on the top floor at home. There were no computers in those days, Carlos. It was all pens, inks, artist boards, and there was plenty of stuff for me to pinch and draw and learn and watch. So I point the finger at my parents for the artistic bent in me. That stuck with me, Carlos, really. Um, No bigger qualifications in art, just an acute sense of art and design and a passion for it. So it stuck. If you were interested in pursuing this career, if one of my brilliant listeners said, wow, that sounds like a cool job, but I'm a terrible artist, what would you say to them? I'd say you could do it. Absolutely. Carlos, I'm sure you could do it. Um, (laughs) That may be a stretch. Yeah, well, I mean, graphic recording is more illustrative and artistic. Of course it is. It takes practice, but we could all do that. Above all, the output needs to be practically useful. Um, It can be beautiful, great, and that's fantastic. Is it practically useful? That's the key question that participants need to be asking after seeing this image to which you refer after a conference. Graphic facilitation, yeah, it doesn't require as much artistic ability. It's useful, but there are plenty of people out there who can absolutely get stuck into this without much trouble. And there are training programs. Yes, you can find a course. I coach people to graphically facilitate. Do you know what, Carlos, the number of people who say, I'm not a visual thinker, I'm rubbish at this, please excuse my lack of ability here. And then actually when they get stuck into it, they realize just how much skill they have. I think the world needs more graphic facilitators. (laughs) Okay, so here's what I'd love. Think of an example where you've used graphic facilitation with a team, where you had a very pragmatic outcome required. Just walk us through what that situation was and how you did what you did? Mm. So the example that springs to mind, Carlos, was it was a roadshow of workshops that myself and a colleague designed and facilitated for a big technology company. And the uh, groups who we were facilitating were essentially partners of this company. And so the context was a go-to-market plan to introduce a particular service to the partner's end clients. Our client had a vested interest in the outcome. And of course, so did the partners because they wanted to sell as much of this service as they could. Our approach was really to work top downs, starting with, you know, what is the vision for the sales, for the distribution, for the communication of this product? What, What is the end goal here? So it's great having a product and levers to pull, but we need to have something to aim for. So working with a group to to understand quite simply what that vision is. And we would use, for example, large charts, post-its, but getting that thinking out and being able to see it and alter it and explore it, draw the ambition in, or alternatively push that ambition out and make it even more stretching. All right, so you described this planning process. It started with vision. What sort of things are you capturing? What are you putting on your chart on the wall? Uh, before I answer the question, Carlos, I think it's important to note that it's it's the group that are often putting the information on the chart. Ah, okay. It's a mixture. So what I'm doing in that context is I'm designing the conversation or the meeting process, creating templates and charts, which are often graphical or visu- visual in their appearance. And The group are interacting with those templates, using post-its, using markers, but also I'm leading, I'm enabling that conversation to happen. I see. So the types of items that would be on that chart would be, for example, 
what do they want people to be seeing, saying and feeling about their product in five years time? What might the sales figures be? It could be numerical as well as qualitative. It could be about the team themselves. Where do they see themselves in five, 10 years time, having achieved the best possible launch for this product that they could possibly achieve? It's a variety of things, but the beauty is that it's enabling the group to start to see what the future might look like and also to start feeling it because there are questions you can use within facilitation that start to encourage participants to imagine what it must be like to have achieved this. Is there ever a time when you say, draw your future, draw your feelings, give me images? Absolutely. And some groups, Carlos, prefer to work that way. Mm. Others do so more simply. But yes, drawing what the future looks like is really powerful. And that could just be vignettes in small images, or it could be something bigger, which might describe a whole context or scenario. So it, it depends on the group. I would never discourage anyone who wants to draw out what their future looks like to do so. There are examples I can think of where we have deliberately focused on a graphical, visual representation of what the future might look like, but it it also depends on the group and the outcomes you want to achieve. So it sounds like anybody could actually get their group working this way. I mean, if you come up with the right question to answer, you can work in this way with your group. Yeah, absolutely. It's about the questions, you're right, Carlos. It's also about the preparation and the design. So anyone, as you say, could lead a meeting where you're working graphically with the group. The important part is the preparation. So being able to be clear on the outcomes that you want to achieve, be clear on the process that you are going to follow in order to reach those outcomes, but also to be mindful of uh, expectations from the team. Who who have you got in the room? Mm. For example, what types of people are they? So you have people from different functional backgrounds, people with different personalities and ways of working. There's a lot to think about before you get into a meeting, but it pays off. So I guess the devil is in the detail. Do the preparation right. And as long as you can flex your facilitation as the meeting progresses, because we know that conversations don't always happen in a linear way, then you're as best prepared as you can be. They're not sitting around a table debating what should be in this plan. They're up moving on their feet, going to a chart on the wall or to a set of flip charts around the room, something like that. So interacting with each other as they do this? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a a shared process, a shared experience, Carlos. I remember one of these workshops that we facilitated in the States. And by the end of the workshop, we had a whole set of walls with these charts on where it just told the story from the big vision where we want to achieve right through to thinking about what are the barriers, what are the enablers, who needs to be involved right through to an operational plan and next steps. And they called it their war room. And in fact, they left the charts in the room. And that was the place where the group worked on that particular project because they had all of that information on the walls around them easily accessible and it was a joint experience that they'd had and also if someone came in who wasn't in that workshop they could explain it to them quite easily because it was all there what's the power of this what makes this work better than a bunch of people sitting around a table discussing a question and writing things down and then having somebody write their conclusions on a flip chart later engagement and ownership carlos i think in the sense that if you and i are sitting just around a table with some others and we're having a conversation, that might be a great conversation. But if you're working 
visually with a team where they can get up and let the blood flow start to introduce some more dynamic movement to the conversation and to start to see each other's thinking emerge in front of them. It's not in the head anymore, it's, it's on the wall. And it encourages a conversation. If you and I were sitting around a table, we might not have the same kind of conversations than we would do if we were up working in a very graphic way. So the power is in drawing out, to excuse a pun, what's inside and to unlock the potential in the group. It feels as if the kinetic part is important. Being on your feet has some magic to it. Somehow it creates a shift when you get people up and moving. It creates a buzz and people in meetings can see other people working away. Clearly you have conversations going, you have movement. It's a very different dynamic to simply being passive and taking in the information, rather like at a conference where you're taking in the presentation material. A key difference here, this is a really important point that I encourage every meeting leader to consider, is that the people in your meeting or your conference should be regarded as participants. The word participant implies participation. It implies a two-way level of engagement and, and that leads to ownership. Whereas if you consider your meeting participants as attendees or delegates, it's a rather passive way of thinking about it. It's estimated 40% of us are working from home. Now I'm at my desk with my Zoom running. What are you doing to practice graphic facilitation when you're all in different rooms on different computers not on your feet, not with paper on the wall? It's a great question. And one that we've had to grapple with pretty quickly in the last 12 months. Technology to start off is great. We know that there has been uh, virtual meeting platforms and that type of technology around for a while. Certainly the last year has focused our minds on how we use virtual meeting technology as best as we possibly can, rather than, for example, taking a normal way of working and just using virtual technology to enable us to do that. So from a facilitation perspective, there are differences. You can't see everybody. There are ways of working such as as simple as just being able to see each other with video on. That makes a big difference. And there are many meetings where people might have their video off for whatever reason. It cuts away one of the last important messages you have about how that person is working. It could be as simple as asking people to keep their video on. And it might be tempting to keep your video off. Maybe you've got kids running around or the room where you're in isn't necessarily the prettiest, but that's, that's okay. It's life right now. Being able to see each other on a virtual call means a lot. If you were in a meeting room and you simply weren't able to see each other working, then that would be weird. The same applies to a virtual setting as well. Being able to raise your hand virtually, for example, we know that the functionality is there. It's really straightforward. And then you can take that all the way to more sophisticated tools like uh, we're using the virtual whiteboard tools like Mural, for example, where you can encourage people to interact with each other as if they were putting post-its on a, on a board in a room. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you're not there in person, but they're designed in a way that's dynamic. You can see each other's thinking, you can change each other's thinking, and you can facilitate a conversation about what the group is doing. There's advice, guidance. I'm sure there's many YouTube videos around Carlos that will help people understand how to use these tools and, and support from the, the companies themselves. For me, it was a case of getting stuck in, trying to learn as I went on, and also using my network to help me understand how to best use it. 
And I'd also been on the receiving end of a couple of neural meetings as well. So I was able to see what the participants saw and felt as they were participating in the meeting. I have played with it. I have to admit, I, I struggled a bit with the software and I'm interested in finding ways to get more adept at it. We're both dealing with this. How are you feeling about it? It's a great question, Carlos. I imagine that, like a lot of people, I miss the people connection. I've had to pedal harder to be able to maintain that connection with others, but I do so using different mediums as Zoom, of course, and Skype and others. There are different ways of connecting. And also, for example, rather than sitting in front of a screen like I'm doing with you now, Carlos, mm-hmm. I might give you a call, but go for a walk and get some exercise because we're sitting at our desks for a large part of the day. Right. And just being able to shift your perspective, maybe be a little bit more active when you're connecting with somebody, for me, helps. Yeah. I hope it leads to a better conversation at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 I, in fact, before we started this, I went out and took a 15-minute brisk walk yeah. to clear my mind, to get away from my desk. Are you finding that graphic facilitation adapted to remote working is giving you and your clients the kind of results that you're used to getting? You know, from your own experience, if you're working with a team to develop high-performance collaboration, you might have a one or a two-day workshop at a particular point in time, knowing that there are going to be other meetings and conversations about that later on down the line. But we find that in a virtual sense, that one or two two day workshop is now split over a longer period because people can't sit and have a two day meeting on Zoom. It's right. it's not great for productivity, not great for well-being. And so being able to chunk those down into smaller parts works a lot better for participants. And we can still broadly get to the outcomes. Clearly, you don't have the face-to-face human interaction, but you get to the either to achieve the tasks or the outcomes that you want to achieve, I'd say, as much as you would if you were face-to-face. What are you finding is the longest time you keep people engaged in a virtual interaction? Longest single period of time. With still being effective? I would say around about three hours. Clearly, you need a break in that. And of course, you can have shorter breaks. Right. It's a bit like having shorter sprints within a three hour period, you might have three working sessions within a three hour period and you give people the chance to stretch. You could probably push it more, but if you want to leave people feeling that, that they haven't wilted by the end of the session, then three hours, I would say, is a, a reasonable maximum. In a three hour slot, three different chunks of work. It's been my experience that about an hour per unit of work seems to be about right. Yeah, agreed. And particularly if you're really stretching the group's thinking as well. And we know that in some meetings, there are interactions which are work which is more straightforward. And then there are conversations which are more taxing intellectually, emotionally. And those conversations will leave people tired more quickly than the straightforward conversations. Is there anything you've learned? What would you carry forward? What lessons? I think the last 12 months have shown how much nonverbal communication has an impact on the success of an interaction or a meeting. And I was aware of that before, but more aware of it now. When we go back, I think being in a room with other people, the silence will be deafening in the sense that we're seeing different behaviors, emotions, and a lot of nonverbal communication, which we've probably not seen for a while. And I think that's a good thing because it will just shine a light on the importance of understanding each other beyond what we say to each other. I think we've learned something about attention span. Mm. And how long people can stay engaged 
I went to visit West Point and the guy who headed up their neuro leadership program there, his contention was you got about 55 minutes of attention if you're lucky from the average person. Mm. And you should design everything around that notion. And I didn't really buy it. Working virtually has shown me that may well be true. <laughs> Absolutely. And we've got a really great opportunity to learn because I suspect you, Carlos, like myself and a lot of people might have taken the virtual meeting space and applied the same kind of rules that we applied in a face-to-face environment. And if we're not careful, we'll do it in reverse. So let's check ourselves before we get back into the meeting room and take the best of the virtual way of working, take the best of the face-to-face way of working and make it work when we get back together again, rather than forcing the virtual way of working into the face-to-face environment. Probably easier said than done, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. That is a very interesting watch out and a very appropriate one as we wrap up. So Tom, thank you. I have 29 more questions. I'm sure my listeners have more. Where can they find you? I inhabit LinkedIn. So you can find me there. Okay. Uh, you can find me through Inky Thinking, which takes a, a large amount of my time and my passion. So do go there and social media attached to that. But if anyone wants to have a conversation, then absolutely contact me through LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to do it now. Tom Russell, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Carlos. Always a pleasure. Take care. Hi, I'm Janet Aldrich, producer and director of Teeming with Ideas. Thanks for listening. And thank you, John Wallerick, for the music. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, review, and share. Want more? Visit Carlos's blog, Teeming with Ideas, at carlosvdapena.com. Questions? Click on the Contact Carlos button, and we'll answer promptly. To be interviewed on the Teeming with Ideas podcast, visit carlosvdapena.com forward slash podcast dash contact and complete the questionnaire. Thanks again for listening and keep on teeming with ideas.